Guys, welcome. How's everyone doing today? Everyone all right? Yep. We move this over here. I need something to hit every once in a while when I'm preaching. So it, this is good. This is good. Um, guys, uh, everyone had a good week again? Good? Awesome. I'm going to just kind of break right into this uh, just because time is always limited here and uh, I respect your time. And so I just, I just give praise and thanks that you're here. Um, this is not an easy church to be a part of. It is when it comes to community and how we relate outside of the walls of the church. But being in the church on Sundays, it takes a lot of work. Amen. Uh, we have pe- teams that get here at like ten fifteen ish, and we start tearing down this room. And you know, thank you guys. And we start tearing down the room and transforming it into what it is uh, right now. And so. Um, you know, it, I just thank you for all of those who, who were able to come in. Those of you who were trying to come in but had car troubles, uh, thank you for, for being persistent and still being here through those car problems. You know who I'm talking about, and bless you for that. Awesome. And thank you for the community as well. Uh, we had, uh, someone had car troubles this morning, and just right away gave Sarah a call, and then we sent John Carlo out there. He sent himself out there and kind of rescued and saved the day. And so thank you, GP, for that as well. Um, let's kind of get started here. Um, for the past few months, yes, thank you. Uh, for the past few months, we have been kind of going verse by verse through the, the gospel of Mark. And it's something we do here at Impact City Church. It's something that we, we kind of feel is, 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 is God leading us into what he wants us to be preaching about. And so uh, what we do is we take a book of the Bible, and for however long it takes, we go verse by verse through that book of the Bible, preaching. And we might pull out like a series from there. Like while we were doing this book, we had the series Greater Than, and then we had last week, we had Change and all that. We might do something like that, but ultimately we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And we started this back uh, a year and four months ago. A year and four months ago, we started on verse 1 chapter 1, verse 1. And we're barely here on the midway point. We're in chapter 8. There's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark, and we're barely in chapter 8. And so we've just been seeing Jesus do amazing, amazing things up until this point. I mean, just we've seen him um, follow through in obedience through baptism. That was called radical obedience. And so when we said when you come to know Jesus, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, the first thing he asks is for us to be baptized. And if you were here last week, we baptized three people. It was an awesome time to see that. And so uh, we'll be doing that again here soon as well. So you see Jesus doing baptism. We see Jesus starting his ministry, and he, he gathers up 12 men from across the land. You're talking tax collectors. You're talking carpenters. You're talking about fishermen. These, these guys who really weren't what you would expect to see when you think about who would be leading the, the whole Christian church. These are blue-collar, redneck dudes. And so Jesus walks up to these guys. These guys are, are very—obviously, they're not good enough because if they were good enough to be religious leaders, they would have been religious leaders. And Jesus walks up and says, you, you're not perfect. Come with me. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Y'all remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. I will turn you into a fisher of men. So he starts his ministry. He starts discipling these men. Uh, we use the word disciple here, disciple maker or apprentice, which is the, the, uh, the process of one of us men taking another man under his wing, like there, you know what I mean? Like under his wing and then growing that man. 
to become a leader in the church or a leader of his family, life-on-life discipleship women. Uh, you gather around other women who are just, you know, experienced, more seasoned in, in life and are able to guide you through the, that process of becoming the wife that God has called you to be, the mother that God has called you to be, the single that God has called you to be as well. And so all of these things come together, and Jesus says that these are my disciples, and he starts that ministry here, and uh, then he goes off to start preaching in the Jewish synagogues, and he just kind of ticks everyone off, and he goes in there, and he says things like, I am the, I am the Messiah, and they're like, oh my, you can't say that blasphemy, and they get all upset, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the, all those guys, they're all upset, and they start getting really upset with him, and they even to a point to where they actually pushed him over to the edge of a cliff, and threatened to push him off the edge, that's how upset they were, I've preached some bad sermons, but I've never been threatened to be killed for one of my sermons, um, if I, I, with the type of people we handle here in Impact City, it's very likely that one day I'm going to have a hit out or something like that. I don't know. He goes off and he feeds 5,000 plus people. He goes over to a Jewish town and he feeds 5,000 Jewish people, right? And not only just Jewish, it says 5,000 men in the group. That doesn't include, like, they're Hispanic like the way we are. It includes their tío, their tía, their cousins, you know, their wife, their kids, their kids' friends next door. Everyone comes over. I say, so Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. And then he turns around and he says, he thought that was cool. Check it out. A few weeks later, he feeds 4,000 plus non-believing, uh, non-Jews, Gentiles. He goes to an off-distant land. And he feeds 4,000 plus people who did not believe in God. And so that just kind of proved that Christ is above and beyond what we believe he can be. He can reach out to those who are not believers of Christ and bring them into a relationship with him. And we learn a lot through that. And then we see him heal the sick. And then he's healing little girls and little kids and men and women. Remember the guy who got dropped in from the roof? And so he's doing that. And he's also raising the dead. He's raising up uh, children and people. And he's you know, just causing thousands of people to rethink what they believe about God or gods or whatever religious uh, type they were. He's causing them to rethink all of that. And where we find him here today is right after the feeding of the 4,000 people. And the Pharisees had heard about all these things he's been doing. Like, man, this guy's raising the dead. This guy's healing the sick. This guy's feeding 4,000, 5,000 people. He's doing all these crazy things. And they actually cornered Jesus in a Jewish town. And they start asking him, hey, man, if you're really Christ, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really the Son of God, which you claim to be, which is ludicrous, but if you claim to be that, if you're really that, can you just show us a sign? Show us a sign. And Jesus kind of nips that in the butt real quick. If you remember a few weeks ago, we said that Jesus said, no, there, is, there won't be no sign for you. And the reason they were asking him to show them a sign was because if, they, if he was to show them a sign, they could hold him for witchcraft, and then, and then they could cause him to, go to, uh, to be put to death, which is what they always wanted to begin with. So they already didn't believe Jesus. They, Jesus could have raised a dead person right in front of them, and they still wouldn't believe Jesus. They would have said, you're a witch. You're, a, you're, a, you're a, you know, someone who's doing witchcraft. You're going to be put to death, which is ultimately what they wanted for him to begin with. And so Jesus kind of nips that in the butt real quick, and he gets into a boat, and he starts traveling across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the shore. And it's in this boat, in this, this context of this boat on the water or going across the sea that we find ourselves today. So you're caught up with the Gospel of Mark. Here we are sitting in the boat with Jesus. 
And this is what's going to happen here. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, there's three ways you can get the Scriptures. we got them right here at the edge of the table. I'm sorry, at the edge of the chair. We have them up on the screen. And if you're one of those tech-savvy people, you can log on to YouVersion or anything on your phone. Or if you're, like, lazy and you want to scroll through that, just go to our Impact City Church Facebook page. And the Scripture just posted about five minutes ago. So there's, like, four ways you can find the Scripture. So, like, you'll be like, I didn't even read my Scripture. Or, like, it's everywhere. You know, so it's all over the place. So uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Mark chapter 8, verse 14 is where we're going to be at. It starts off like this. He says, when they got in the boat, it says, now they have forgotten to bring bread. Like most men do, they're going to forget something. Amen? Like when we go to SeaWorld and we're halfway to San Antonio and they say, did you bring your tickets? I'm like, I thought you brought the tickets, you know? Like, okay. So going and they forgot the bread, okay? And they had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. He said, watch out to the disciples. He said, watch out, disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now here we find Jesus giving his disciples a warning. He says, beware the leaven of, of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of, of Herod. Now if you look at leaven, what leaven was, was a substance much like yeast that was injected or put into a loaf of bread before it would bake and it would cause the bread to to rise, right? And so you're asking yourselves now, why would Jesus say, hey guys, be be careful of the stuff that makes the bread rise. Be careful of that stuff, you know? Well, if you really look biblically, leaven was a figure used to describe the wickedness of sin in our hearts. Because bread by itself is natural, and when they would put something else into it, it would cause the bread to change structure. And so just like sin in our lives is introduced into our lives, it changes who we are, and we no longer are what God intended us to be. Hence the reason why they use leaven to describe sin. And in fact, it's everywhere. If you look throughout scriptures, whenever there was a, an honor, a feast in the honor of God, if there was a sacrifice for the honor of God, they would never put leaven in the bread. If you have been here at church uh, for any amount of time, if you've taken communion with us, when we take the Lord's Supper here at Impact City Church, which we do fairly often, we come up here and we have flat, what we call matzah bread, which is unleavened bread, the actual bread from Israel. And we take this matzah bread, and this is what we use to whenever we celebrate and remember the death of Christ. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Be careful of the bread like the Pharisees and Herod that has leaven. So when Jesus is talking about leaven here, he's not just saying be careful of the leaven. He's talking about saying be careful of the same sins of the Pharisees and of King Herod. Be careful of falling into the same routine, the same sins as Herod and the Pharisees. Now what exactly were those sins? What exactly were the sins of Herod and the Pharisees? If you look back in a couple of verses in 12 and 13, I don't have it on screen, screen you just have to kind of trust me with this. Um, you'll see back, uh, uh, just a few verses back, that the Pharisees, their, their problem was they were asking for a sign from Jesus. They had what we call a settled unbelief already in their hearts for Jesus, which means that they were already, their minds were made up, they were rejecting Christ, and they were not going to, nothing you could do was going to change their mind. They had a settled unbelief, and it became an object lesson for a serious point for the disciples inside this boat. 
the, the unbelief was actually a, a, a malice, self-sufficiency, self-righteous uh, sin in their heart. They weren't going to believe Jesus because if they believed Jesus, that means they had to surrender to Jesus. So the other alternative is to just totally push away Jesus, say, I don't believe that about Jesus. I don't think that's what Jesus really said. I don't think that's what Jesus really did. I don't believe that's what Jesus really wants for us. I don't believe that's what Jesus really came to the earth for. And in essence, you're disbelieving and you have a, a settled unbelief in Christ. And you can see it all the way back in chapter 3 as well, back when Jesus first came on the scene and he started healing people. And Jesus is up around the Sabbath time and there's a guy who is sick. He has a withered hand. And then the Pharisees come up to him and are watching Jesus like, is this guy really going to heal on the Sabbath? Like the Sabbath is a day of rest. Like we're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And here comes Jesus and he's a rabbi. He claims to be a teacher and he's going to actually heal someone on the Sabbath. He can't do that. He can't, he can't be that way. And Jesus Jesus says this. He says that he looked around them with anger. Y'all think Jesus don't get mad. Jesus got mad. He looked around with anger at the, at the Pharisees. And he looked around with, says, anger and grieved at their hardness of hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched the hand out and it was restored. That's Mark 3, 45. So even back in chapter Three, the Pharisees were already just kind of screwed up already with their teaching or their believing in Christ. They had a hardened heart. You look back at the Old Testament, Pharaoh had a hardened heart. No matter how many times Moses would go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he would say no, and then the plague would come, whether it was frogs or blood or gnats or the disease, whatever it was. He kept hardening the heart and a hardened heart and a hardened heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened so much where he wouldn't believe in what God was telling him to do. You can see it all the way back there. King Herod also had that, that same struggle in sin. The Pharisees and Herod both already denied Jesus. And even though they were asking for signs, they really weren't looking for any real validation of what, who he was. They were just looking to kill him for doing witchcraft. It was a trap. Every time Jesus walked in, it was a trap. And the odd thing is that Jesus warns his disciples of this very same sin. I mean, his disciples. These are the guys that, like, run around with this guy. These are the guys that live in community with this guy. These are the guys that are on mission with Jesus. These are his sidekicks, his bros, his buddies, the guys that he is tight with. These are, like, the guys he plays pickup basketball with. You know, like, these are the guys that he is around all the time. He says, y'all be careful of doing the same thing that the Pharisees and Herod do, which is not believe in me, which is not truly believe in me. Well, if you haven't figured out, Jesus says everything for a reason. Let's continue to read on and see what he says about this. It says, And now they have forgotten to bring the bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven and the Pharisees, and of the leaven of Herod. And verse 16 says this. It says, And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And then the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. 
And Jesus said to them, Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? Jesus is like in the boat, and he's like, Dude, seriously? Like, for real? Like, you've seen me raise people from the dead. You've seen me feed 9,000 plus people all together with a little bit more than just a Lunchable. Do you not understand the power that is in the boat with you and you're crying about a piece of bread? Don't you get it? Jesus asks him three questions. He says, do you not yet perceive or understand? Like, don't you get it? Seriously, don't you get it? Then he says, are your hearts hardened? Much like the Pharisees. Have your hearts been hardened? What is going on with you? What is, what is up with you guys? And he says, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? Basically, dude, for real, are you that blind that you haven't even noticed the amazing things that I have been doing in and around your lives for the last few years here? Are you that stupid? Have you gotten to that point where you just don't even acknowledge me? Have you gotten to the point where you don't even see the awesomeness that is within this boat here with you guys? Jesus takes up the figures of speech, which are blindness and deafness. To be blind and deaf means that you're at, at that time, it's, now it's a lot different because their technology is so advanced. But back then, if you were blind and deaf, you were pretty much worthless. You couldn't really work. couldn't really hear much. You couldn't see, read, do, you know, travel anywhere. And so to be blind and deaf was to basically be worthless to society. And you're like, well, I know a lot of deaf people. I know a lot of blind people. They're not, I'm not saying they're worthless now. I'm saying back in the day before hearing aids and Braille, you know, they were, they, they, there's nothing you could do. And Jesus says, we're, you know, blind and deaf. And he gets this from the prophet Ezekiel. When God comes up to Ezekiel and he says this, he says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but do not see, who have ears to hear but do not hear. They are a rebellious house. That's back in Ezekiel. He says that, 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 that you're just like all the land, all the people. You're rebellious. You have eyes, but you don't see anything that I'm doing. You have ears, but you're not using them to listen. Jesus does something really crazy here. He actually boldly calls out his disciples. He boldly, just up in your face, calls you out. Just straight up, in front of all the other people, he calls them out. I can imagine how that felt to the disciples, right? Like you're in a boat, and you're, you're the, the leader of the pack, the, the, the teacher, your rabbi, calls you all out. Just kind of like shuts you down right there. Have you ever been called out by someone like that before? Like I've been—it's okay that you're called out at work by your boss in private in his office when he yells at you for like messing up. But when he does it on the sales floor or when he does it on the production line in front of all your peers, that's bad. You know, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I would talk to Sarah all the way in the phone. I'd be like, "Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing?" You know, and we'd be like just talking. It's like, "No, you hang up. No, you hang up." You know, like, oh, "Yeah, you hang up." Okay, one, two, three. Ah, oh, you didn't hang up. Okay, okay, no, you hang up. You know, and, and y'all remember that? And so we would stay up talking on the phone, you know, on the phone. You know, I'd be like on the bed, my feet kicked up. Like, you hang up. You know? And so we'd be talking on the phone. And y'all remember landlines? Like you remember that you would be on the phone in your room, and then there was another phone in the kitchen. And my mom would get on the phone and be like, Felix, it's time to go to sleep. And I'm like, Mom, I'm 18, you know, like. 
back off, you know? I wasn't 18, I was like 16. But like, like, oh, it's so embarrassing. She's like, did you take the trash out? I'm like, mom, hello, I'm on the phone with my future wife here. Come on. You feed the dog? Oh. And just totally called me out in front of someone else. I can imagine how the disciples felt to be called out like that in front of each other. To be called out in front of people that, you know, they, they might be all high and mighty. Like, oh yeah, man, I follow Jesus better. You know what? I do all this. You remember that time when Jesus healed that guy? Yeah, I was there to help the guy get up. Uh, Jesus loves me more, right? And they just think that each one of them thinks they're all big and bad. And then Jesus goes, you guys all suck. You guys are all falling short of, of where you need to be right here. Do you not yet understand? And if we can be honest that it, with ourselves, if we can just kind of be straightforward and basic and raw and real, um, we all need to be called out from time to time. We all need to be called out here and there from time to time. And many of us, or just like the disciples, will start to doubt Jesus at times. Many of us are like this. This is kind of me calling all of us out here, are we doubting Jesus or are we in full faith in Jesus? Many of us will start to doubt. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe this year has been rough. Oil fields going down. A lot of layoffs happening. Uh, the, you know, just everything's going on crazy. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you're just struggling with the one you got now and it's just not the best job you got. You want something better. And, and maybe you're just struggling to, to believe that God's going to provide for you. It's like the disciples. They're struggling to believe that that. One piece of bread is enough to feed 12 people, where back, you know, further back, there was five loaves of bread, and they fed 5,000 people. I think the ratio to that is a lot better for the one piece of bread for 12 people. And so, um, you know, maybe you lost your job. You're wondering, how is God going to provide for that? Or maybe, you know, your life just seems to be stressing you out. Maybe the kids are just taking you off, you know. Or maybe you got bills coming in, and that's stressing you out. Maybe you got family that's stressing you out. You just, you're worried about them, and, and they're, maybe they're dealing with you, whatever it is. And you're wondering, God, is, is there ever going to be an end to this season of my life? Is there ever going to be a stop to this? Or maybe you feel like there's no more hope anymore. Maybe you just feel like that the light at the end of the tunnel is nothing more than the freight train coming to hit you and end it all for you. And maybe you feel like no matter how, how hard it is, you know, I'm struggling, my life is a shambles, I'm 30-some years old, I'm not where I want to be, I'm 50-some years old, and I'm not where I wanted to be in life, and you just feel hopeless. And you wonder, how is God going to provide for my life? How is God going to provide hope for my life? And maybe you're, you're dealing or you're grieving over a marriage that's ended or you're dealing with a marriage that's going to be ended here pretty soon. And you're wondering, how is this ever going to change? How am I ever going to feel loved again after being betrayed, screwed, crapped on, messed around with? How is anyone ever going to love me? Or maybe you're dealing with the fact that your sins are the reason why your marriage ended. And you're wondering, how, who would, would take me uh, after I have, I have betrayed the one I loved before? Who would want just a, a messed up, dirty piece of crud like me? Who would want that? Maybe you're dealing with the death of a loved one. And you feel like the, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but I feel like I'm on my darkest day. Maybe you're dealing with the fact that maybe your child is sick, or maybe they're in the hospital. I know a story of a little girl that was doing fine one day, had a seizure, went in to the hospital. And she, she went to the hospital to get her tonsils out, had a seizure or something on the, on the operating table. Now she's struggling with, with you know, half her brain not working and she can barely walk. She can't talk. Life changes. Maybe you're wondering, is there any hope for that? Maybe your mom died, your grandma died, grandpa, grandpa, whoever it is, father, brother, someone is just sick in the hospital with cancer. 
Maybe you're struggling with that. You're wondering, is God going to provide for that? And, and, and you're just like a disciple in the boat with Jesus in the boat, and you're wondering, how are we going to eat? How is he going to provide? What, what's going to happen? I mean, come on. We serve, we serve and follow a Savior who conquered death and hell. It says this, I love this in Revelation 18, it says, it's not on the, on the screen, it says, I am he that liveth, this is Jesus talking, I am he that liveth and is not dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Just basically, I went down to hell and I kicked that dude straight in the throat, and I have, I have conquered death and hell, and you serve me and you follow me. Scripture says that we are, that he is on our side, Romans 8.31 says that, What then shall we say about all things, that if God is for us, who can be against us? He is on our side. He is the best person to have on your side. Why? Because he is the ultimate person to have on your side. And he fights for you. He is with you. He is for you. And because he is on our side, because he fights for us, we are now more than conquerors. All of Romans 8 talks about how we are bigger and better and able to accomplish anything we can ever ask or imagine in, the, in Scripture. I mean, in this life, through Scripture, and through Jesus. It says this, it says this in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that is stress and just trouble that comes into our life, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and, in, and we, regard as, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Basically saying, if you're a follower of Christ, it literally feels like the world's against you, as if you were just a lamb being led to the slaughter every day. If there is troubles that come your way. Who, who is going to be against us? Who shall separate us from all this? He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. And a lot of people stop there and they're like, oh, I'm a conqueror. Oh, I'm a conqueror. Oh, I, I am worthy. I'm this. But it says, the last part says, through him who loved us. So if you're not following Jesus, if you're not fully submitted to Jesus, if you're not fully devoted to Jesus, you're not more than a conqueror. The storms of life will come and you will fall down and you will just be wrecked. If you're not fully following Jesus, yeah, you know what? You're still going to have trouble in the hard times. But if you're following Jesus, you're more than a conqueror in him who loved us. But if you're not fully following Jesus and you're wondering why your life is screwed up, it's because you're not fully following Jesus. Life is hard and trouble will always come your way. But if you're following Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. You will get past that. You need to know, say that I will get past this. Whatever, say it with me. I will get past this. You know you will get past this if you're a follower in Christ. When we feel like there is no way out. When we feel like there is no hope. When we feel like there is no future. And when we feel like there is no purpose to our lives. Remember that Christ is in control of everything in our lives. For those who love Jesus. That it was Romans 8.28 say, For Christ works out all things for the good of those who love Jesus. Who are called according to his purpose. It's the reality and the comfort that without the radical personal transformation of the gospel of grace, beginning with Jesus' exposure of our own hearts, it means he calls us out. Followers of Christ have no understanding of his sovereignty and have nothing of substance to convey to others. Let me reiterate that. 
when you come to know Jesus and you've followed him and you have been transformed by him, you understand that you are more than a conqueror. You understand that life has a better purpose for you. You understand that you will always be provided for. You understand that you have a meaning in life. And because you have that meaning, you're not deaf and you're not blind and you now have purpose in life and that is for others to see. Without that in your life, you have absolutely no purpose in here. Without the grace of God in our lives, you serve no purpose in the kingdom of God. That is why he sends us grace. That is why he sends us people like me and you to go out to the places where people don't know Jesus, to welcome them into a relationship with Jesus, to disciple them into a relationship with Jesus, to offer them salvation through Jesus, to tell them about the hope of love that is Jesus. We have a purpose. We have a meaning. We talked about that two weeks ago. What is the purpose of our life is to, to fully, passionately pursue Jesus in the way that we build up his kingdom. It's not about, hey, I want to have a nice car. Hey, I want to have a nice life. Hey, I want to have all the riches. I want to have a prosperity here. It is about serving the almighty king, Jesus Christ. How do we share the gospel with people? I've heard that a bunch of times this week. How do I share the gospel? It is simple. You don't have to be a theologian to share the gospel. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to share the gospel. You simply have to tell your story about how Christ shared him with you. How did Christ save you from from what you're going through? That's the gospel in there. Just walk up to someone and be like, how's it going? But you start talking to them before you know it. Be like, hey, you know, what are you going through? You know what? I went through something like that, just similar. Or you know what? I knew someone. Let me tell you what Jesus did for this person. That's the gospel right there. Jesus saved this person. Jesus came into my life, changed my life. I'm not perfect. I still screw up. I still mess up here and there, but I am passionately pursuing Jesus every day. And if he can do this for me, he can do it for you. I promise you, let me pray with you. That is how you share the gospel. It's not handing someone an invite card to come to Impact City Church. That's great. I love it. I've seen amazing things come with that, but that's not what it is. It's telling someone what Jesus did in your life. And every single one of us here is an evangelist. The word evangelize means for everyone to go and be a witness to the nations. That's all of us. You're a witness. What does a witness do? Testifies about what they saw. Testifies about what they went through. And all you got to do is just tell people what God has done for you in your lives. That's how you become something of purpose in the, in the gospel. It's how we share the gospel with people in our neighborhoods, our apartments, our jobs, our schools, our families, and friends. You want to see something awesome happen? Just start sharing the gospel with your friends and family. Start sharing the gospel in your community, in your neighborhood. You know what? Just have people, invite everyone over and just slowly start living life with them and share the gospel. If you live in an apartment complex, have a barbecue and just knock on some doors. Hey, you want to come over? We're going to have a barbecue. You have kids. I have kids. Our kids together will play, and then we can just hang out and talk and have a good time. You're like, I can't do that. Yes, you can. We do it all the time at family events. We do it all the time at company picnics. We do it all the time when we're at the mall and we're watching our kids play and there's a mother sitting right beside us in the little playground. You can engage and talk to them in some way. You can do this. And when we see others dealing with a loss of hope, when we feel like they don't think God can provide, simply tell them how God has provided for you. And that is how we can do this. We're in a boat with Jesus. And sometimes we feel like we don't have enough to provide for us. But in reality, we have all that we need. We're just Christ Jesus in our lives. Amen? If we tell people that, that is something that we all can understand. Let's pray.